Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Elveson with the Digital Education Podcast. And today, I'm going to go on and on on this one, but today I'm with Len Wilson, who has served as a creative director, teacher, speaker, consultant, and coach. Over 25 years of entrepreneurial ventures, he has helped thousands of churches to, to more innovative ways of doing ministry. He is a pioneer in the use of visual media communications and storytelling in church life. Len is the executive director of Invite Resources and director of innovation and strategy at St. Andrew United Methodist Church in Plano, Texas. And he's the author of a book entitled Greater Things, The Work of the New Creation. And, and Len and I started talking about all kinds of things and, and hit it out off right away. And then he shared his book with me. And Len, I'm just going to jump in because your book was phenomenal. And, Thank you. and Thank like, you. I think I told you offline, I wish I had this book 12 years ago, but I'm glad I have it now. And, and you wrote a book about Christian educate, a Christian innovation, right? Christian innovation. And in it, you say Christian and innovation are redundant. Yes. So if they're redundant, why write a whole book about Christian innovation? And what is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's great to be on the podcast. Uh, thanks, Eric, for the time. Uh, I, in my background with creativity and both uh, in the practice of creativity and innovation in ministry settings, um, you know, it's led me to kind of ask questions as I'm going through things that, you know, and, and I got to a point where in the mid 20 teens, I wrote a book on creativity and I realized coming out of that, there were, there were kind of two next steps. And one was kind of an inner work in terms of understanding our own calling and vocation. And one was the outer work, which was more about innovation. So you could define innovation as, uh, as creativity that delivers, you know, that results in technology or some kind of new product. But in my own mind, I had not fully processed and thought through, is there something distinctive about innovation or creativity that results in products within the context of the church, as opposed to just in general culture? And the more I began to research and realize that, the more I began to realize that I don't think most of the time in, in, in church settings or people who are Christians in regular, uh, you know, secular settings or business settings or education settings understand that difference either. Um, and one of the things I talk about in the book, which you, you, I guess you probably got to, was the, the idea that there's a theology of the word new. And I think this is super important as we understand about innovation. Uh, there's actually two Greek words for new. There's neos and kainos. And, and the word neos is in there a lot, New Testament a lot, and it's closer to what I think of as our understanding of innovation today. So if you look, there's a tons of innovation literature, right? So there's lots of talk about it. It's been around for a long time. I actually avoided talking or writing about this for a good while because I just thought like there's already too much. Uh, but a lot of it is really around the idea that there's like a disruption of the old in order that something better comes along. So Shumter talks about creative disruption. And there's kind of like this idea that you're going to destroy the old in order to improve. And, and I began to realize that this word improvement is really part and parcel of how we think of uh, innovation. There's a, there's a philosophical assumption that goes into that, which I get into a lot in the book about progress. It's this idea that we are somehow progressing forward as a society. And so every time we innovate, we are you know doing a new and improved version of what came before. But as we all know, watching culture the last few years, I'm not sure that we are progressing towards heaven as a society, right? Like there's a lot of ways in which it feels like we're regressing, right? <laughs> Things are getting worse. Uh, so perhaps progress is not all it's cracked up to be. 
And so then what is innovation if it's not that? And so there's a second word of the New Testament uh, besides neos, and it's kainos. And, and I think this gets at what Christian innovation is because it is, it's not just new and approved, but it's something that's qualitatively different, right? It's something completely separate. Um, in fact, the, there's one parable, and this comes from Jesus, directly from Jesus in the scriptures, where you see both neos and kainos in the same context. It's the parable of the wineskins. And uh, so it talks through this idea that, you know, you're, you've got new wine, neos wine, but you're putting it in a new kainos, new wineskin. It's idea that it's something qualitatively different. So, so the short answer to your question about Christian innovation is that it's not a new and improved version of the old way. It's something that's qualitatively different, which as believers, we think comes as a result of living in the new creation, having the spirit in our lives and then living out of that. So that's, that's a lot of theology in there, but it's... Well, can, can I go a little deeper on the theology? Because that part fascinated me. And, and because we've talked a ton, and I have a buddy who wrote even a little bit of a blog, and we've we've did a little speech on new wine and new wineskins and those hot, hot ideas. And we didn't have the theological background that we probably should have to be able to have those conversations. But there's a part in the book, too, where I just want to read this quote. As you say, you, you, you kind of mentioned two problems with innovation you know, in in that, um, let me get this right, with innovation, two problems. The first problem with innovation is that it does not last. The second problem of innovation is that it tends to benefit some people while harming others. Yes. And then on the next page, on the next page of the book, you make a statement that says innovation reflects human nature. Yes. Right. So so help us think about like this. You know, you talk about the old, the new, and then you're talking about like these two problems and then the human nature side of things. How do we reorient even just the way we think about innovation from kind of that 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 better way that you're kind of pushing us towards? Let me kind of in order to get into this. Well, let me kind of back up a bit and talk about the fact that when I first started in ministry, I got thrown in without realizing it, Eric, I got thrown into deep into the church growth movement where I I joined the staff of a large church in Ohio that was in the midst of some explosive growth. We went from a thousand a weekend in worship when I joined staff and two years later, we were at 3,500 a weekend in worship. And a lot of, there's several factors. One of them was the use of screens and technology, which is what I was over. Um, so it was, it was kind of great because it kind of kickstart my career, but, but I really was at, at, at an early stage, I started thinking that, um, that growth was kind of the goal of church life. I mean, that was, that's what I was living. It's, you know, and that was kind of a lot of philosophy about that. But one, I realized that that's the outlier, not the norm. Most churches don't grow. Most churches decline. And two, even that church is no, uh, has lost the growth that it once had. If you're measuring it numerically, that church is actually doing less in numbers now than it did then. So I kind of walked through that story in the book a little bit. I kind of talk about, so if that's the case, then was that a failure? You know, did was the innovation not good? Which, But to say that's not fair to what we were doing because there were lives that were changed as a result of that ministry, right? But it just, it didn't last. It was for that time and that space. So that got me to thinking like, that's kind of like the idea that you have to be present in the time and space in which you're called, which is kind of a theology of incarnation, right? Like, like God says, okay, here I am in the neighborhood sending Jesus. And so that's what we're called to do in the same way is to live into the, the world in which we're called. So it is, it is temporary, but, um, but we're not doing it for the sake of growth. Christian innovation is not a, 
It's not a means to an end. It's not a project. It's more about who we are. We were innovating at the time in that space. And I've seen several examples since then, not as a, a means to increase our bottom line or to be able to put notches on the wall. We were just, at least I'll speak for myself, we were just doing it because it was fun, because it was creative, because we were like having a good time, because it was connecting with people. Uh, there was a lot of joy built into it. Um, so it, it wasn't so much about, when we hear about innovation in secular settings, it's it's profit driven. You know, it's, you're doing it for a specific goal to make more money. Um, so that word gets kind of corrupted by that kind of thinking, right? And if we bring that into the church, we can bring the same kind of thinking into the church that we've got to, you know, do innovation in order to achieve metrics of some kind. And my attitude is, no, you do it because you're you're, you're made to create. You're made creative. And as we discover who we are in Christ, it unleashes creative skills and gifts. And so we live out of that. That's why I say in the book to be Christian and to be innovative are, in my mind, redundant. Because if God's given you stuff to do with your life, you do those things and it benefits the, the society, benefits others. It helps to grow the new creation, grow Christ's kingdom. And you're not, you're not doing it to, to achieve metrics. Well, I, and I love that place. And, and maybe like, you know, one of the questions that I had, or maybe you could give encouragement is to people who I think are on that, in some ways, sometimes that hamster wheel of innovation for progress sake. Right. Where you just said something that was was I think resonates so much with me and my experiences. I did it because it allowed me to unleash creative, you know, my 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 creativity and thought and mind and work or whatever it might be, and it was fun and I got to do it with other people. It, can can you take us a little further? That says, hey, you know what? If if you really you know are truly doing this you know kind of Christian innovation thing, it really gets down to the depths of the created being that we are yes and and the created the creative opportunities that in many ways god has has put into us yes we have the in my previous book called think like a five-year-old i talk about ephesians 2 10 it's kind of the core text of the book that says you know we're all given a set of tasks to do with our lives um, my understanding of sin my favorite image of sin is the story of the Sistine Chapel. Do you know the, the restoration of the Sistine Chapel? It actually started in 1979. It took them years and years. Prior to that time, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel was dark and dreary and dingy. And, and people would, our critics would say, well, that's a commentary on Michelangelo's view of life in the Middle Ages. It was short and brutal and all this kind of stuff. Well, then they got up there and they realized they cleaned it up. And, it, and, and the, the, restore, the restored version was full of this kind of vibrant, amazing color. And what happened was that the candles used in worship and mass underneath had created all this soot, which had gone up into the ceiling and had covered. So then you clear out the soot and you see the beautiful creation. I love that image for sin. Sin is like the soot that comes off of everything we do. We can't help it, right? It's part of being human, part of the human condition. It comes off and so it kind of like covers it a little bit, but that, but that create that, that beauty, that creative energy, that's all in us, right? That's all in there from the beginning. And part of the idea of, of holiness, I'm a good Methodist, I guess, because part of the idea of being sanctified and becoming holy is like cleaning off the ceiling, right? Getting that junk out of there, realizing what we're made to do, and then freeing ourselves to be able to do those things. And the result of that is Christian innovation. So, so when you're in an organization and, and, and you start to talk about this through the book, and I've wondered this consistently because innovation tends to happen outside of the normative cultures, right? And business, right? It, yeah. Innovation happens. I live in Silicon Valley. 
so many of the heart of you know the heart of innovation where even the big companies start smaller companies so that they can innovate outside of you know their normative systems yes and so and you even make this point like whether we think of church you know i think of schools and schools are so baked into tradition and normative systems and people oh. will say you know what these schools haven't changed in x amount of years right you know, my experience is not all that different than kids experience today. My experience from my parents and grandparents experience, probably not all that dissimilar. So how do we, when we think about innovation, we think about that innovation happens outside of usually the traditional norms and you, you did it at a church. Um, what would be like your encouragements if somebody's sitting inside a traditional system, what would be your encouragement to them? And then and then what might be your encouragement to the person that's outside the norms, outside of the traditional system saying you don't have to tear it all down? Yeah, that's great. Those, those great questions. In the book, I talk a lot about the move from down and out to up and in. And innovation starts down and out. It starts in places out of real practical needs because it's there are people who don't benefit from the existing system. Right. And benefit, how do you define that? Right. If it's financial benefit, social benefit, relational, whatever. Um, those people are outside that. And so they're forced to find new solutions to their life problems because the system, quote unquote, whatever that means, is not helping them with those solutions. So innovation in that sense is very kind of need driven and people aren't doing it to to be cool. They're, they're, they're doing it to solve real problems that are not being solved otherwise. So so new innovations emerge. And I, and I give lots of examples, of course, in the book and stuff. But what happens is when, when these innovations emerge, if they're successful, they draw people to it, resources come to it, all kinds of stuff comes to it. So it starts to rise. And as it rises, it moves from down and out, down social economically, out away from centers of authority and power. And it begins to move up and in. And so over time, then it starts to take on. So one example would be music. Right. So so rock and roll started down and out. It actually started even prior to that with kind of like early blues and African-American musical expression. Right. Which was way down and out from centers of authority. Uh, you know, the early 20th century, mid 20th century, it starts to become popular. And then now we've got baby boomers who are doing Kennedy Center honors for rock and roll stars. Right. The ultimate kind of up and in. Right. So it kind of hits there in the end. Um, but there are people for whom that still does not resonate. Right. And so now there are new generations that are emerging. So rock and roll used to be personified down and out rebel culture. And now it's become part of the institution. But there are new people who don't resonate with that. And so they've got new solutions. They're emerging. So there's like this cycle that happens right between down and out, because ultimately every one of those solutions is not universal and it's not eternal. Right. Doesn't be, doesn't be benefit everybody on the planet and it doesn't benefit them all for time because new new generations emerge that they, they weren't part of the old problems. And so they don't see the same solutions. So then you got to constantly look. So that's that's my kind of my encouragement to people is to look down and out is, is to look away from centers of power to see what's happening. What are the needs? What are people doing in response to those needs away from centers of power and authority? And then, you know, how might those uh, very need oriented solutions then benefit other people? Uh, that's great. And, and so I'm thinking about this because you're, you know, you've, you've spent a significant part of your professional life in media publishing that's gone through total disruption. 
Oh, heck yeah. And, and I think like you're, you know, part of your new work and your new role is thinking about what does this mean different? How do you do it, you know, different in a new way um, for a new future? And and I look at education right now and, and I think there were the rumblings of change and all these, but then the, the pandemic has just flipped everything into chaos, right? right? So I think we're at a place of like, how, how is somebody who's a Christian, who's interested in innovation and this idea of Christian innovation, how do we go into these places, you know, you media and publishing, and then like, I think of my friends and education that's going through similar like disruption and disruption that we didn't do to ourselves. It's just disruption that's happening around us. So it's not disruptive innovation that's changing everything. It's just, it's just changing. Um, what would be your encouragements for people that find themselves in the midst of that chaotic whirlwind? So I talk a lot in the, in the second half of the book about characteristics of Christian innovation. Um, Jesus says in the third chapter of John that spirit gives birth to spirit. I love that. So I, there, that's something very specific that we might miss. It sounds kind of like poetic. And so we just kind of say, oh, cool. We don't pay attention to it. But I actually think it's, it's very prescriptive. Capital S spirit, Holy Spirit gives birth to small s spirit, which is us, which is our spirit, right? The spirit as in um, spirare, which is God's breath in us. So the, I see that as the defining activity and the energizing and activating energy within us. So God's spirit, God is the creator. When, when God's spirit moves in us, it, it activates our spirit, in other words, our creative energy. So Christian innovation is characterized by three things. I think it's characterized by listening to God's spirit, patience, and then the willingness to obey. So it's very specific, right? So, we, so in other words, we, then we have to learn what it means to listen to God's spirit. Um, and that you could write a whole separate book on that, right? There's a whole thing about like how to understand where Holy Spirit's working. And, uh, and people tend to think of it as in very individualistic ways. You know, God's speaking to me, but it's might, that's not, there's nothing wrong with that, but it might be better to really think of it in terms of like, where is God's spirit in action in a community, right? And, and look to what's happening in that community and then to join in on that. Um, another false idea about creativity that I try to talk about a little bit in both in the previous book and this book is that people tend to think of creativity as ex nihilo. In other words, like it comes from nothing, right? So to be creative, to be like uh, Picasso means you sit around and all of a sudden you've generated something out of, out of nothing. I don't think that's the creative process. To me, the creative process is ex materia, which is interesting combinations of two existing things, right? So if you see a combination of two things that, that don't really make sense together, this is a weird example just came to me. It may be a bad example. I don't know. But but like in the in the 80s, you, to eat pizza meant you went to a pizza parlor, right? And so Domino's comes along and says, let's combine pizza with automobiles. It was a weird combination, right? But boom, all of a sudden, like, it, it you know, it completely overturned the industry, right? So that's how creativity works. It's weird combinations of two things. And when you're when you're discerning that with the spirit's guidance, you see it happening in the community then the biggest challenge for Christians becomes the willingness to obey. Pre-COVID, this was definitely the hardest problem. People didn't want to innovate in any sector, church, education, you name it. Probably, I'd say church and education are the two least innovative sectors there are, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> right? And so pre-COVID, you were like, no, we're not going to change. Like in, in church settings, one of the funniest things was the use of online worship. Like, like the idea that you would turn on a camera and you would help people worship when they weren't physically in the space. 
tons and tons of very righteous theological reasons why that's not good. And then all of a sudden COVID happens and people throw those arguments out the window literally overnight and say, okay, well, we're going to do it anyway. You know, and so all that, that theology, the, the, all the theology is gone. Right. And so then they're trying to figure out how to solve it. So, so COVID has been helpful in the sense that it's, it's gotten us past our stupid arguments and it's actually forced us to begin to realize kind of in new ways, okay, how do we innovate? And that's what I would suggest uh, to the, our listeners and people listening in here today is it's, it's the spirit listening, it's patience, which we're not very good at, and then courage or the willingness to obey and follow where the spirit's leading. Well, maybe last question, because I, I want to get on that patience question a little bit. And maybe this kind of be the last question is there's a lot of research. You know, I, I love reading Harvard Business Review and different things. And they've done research that the average age of a successful entrepreneur of a new business is mid to late 40s. Yeah. Right. So, you know, out here in San Jose, where everybody invests in the 20 year olds and the 30 year olds, there is something about being patient, persistent, and continuing in the work over a period of time. And then, and then that creative spark or that listening or seeing that need and stepping into that space or that opportunity. What would you say? I think maybe two things, because I'm really interested in, in this. What would you say to that person that, that like is at the edge of giving up? Mm. Right? right? And should right. I keep going? Is this worth it? Is this the right idea? is there a need or an opportunity? Like, so, you know, what would be an encouragement, you know, for that person or how would you help them think? And, and then, and then on the opposite end of like, you know what, like our culture and for young people in particular, it's like, it's got to happen quicker. It, it's no good. You know, and maybe the, 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 the advice is similar, but I think it might be different. Like, what would you say to those two groups when you think about Christian innovation that idea of patience, but then, but then seeing, seeing something through. People, I think people misunderstand patience a little bit and that it's not being slow. Uh, it's not even necessarily being strategic, but I would define it as in waiting for the right moment. Uh, it's Kairos time. Uh, you know, it's, it's God's time, not Kronos time, but Kairos time. Did you know the first two treatises by the early church that are non-canonical, uh, you know, they're not in the Bible, are both on patience. They're both written in the, in the, in the like one was written in the year 120, you know, so a few generations after the church began. Um, and then there's another one that, so patience has always been a problem. It's, it's against human nature. And then when Constantine came in in the early 300s, he aggressively flipped that on his head. He actually wanted the church to embrace speed and so it's, there's, this is documented, you know, so it kind of went in. So, so we kind of lost the idea of, of patience and patience is spirit listening to me. It, it's really kind of understanding where God is moving. And if you've been a Christ follower for any period of time in your life and have really sincerely tried to understand what it means to seek God's kingdom, you may have had this experience where you wait, you wait, you wait longer than is reasonable. And then all of a sudden something opens up and boom, like you can't go fast enough, right? When the opportunity hits, it's overwhelming and how quick it is, right? So, so patience is just kind of putting your, surrendering yourself instead of saying, we're not gonna do it on my timeline. We're going to do it according to how the spirit's leading. Now, I don't want to tell everybody that's listening to the show just to just to wait and for God to move because you may be doing the wrong thing. Right. So that's where it goes back to listening to the Holy Spirit, you know, and, and being convinced. And I talk a lot in the book about understanding God's vision for your life. And I, in fact, there's a couple of lists in there. Like, how do you know it's God speaking to you? Um, 
which may be helpful to folks. But you know, kind of if you're convinced that the Spirit has said do this, and you're sitting around waiting for it to actually happen, then in that case, patience is important. In fact, at the end of the book, I talk about the pit. I talk about how when you started anything. The, the first few months are like a mountaintop vision. You're like, it's all glorious. You're like, you're just rainbows, sunshine, everything. And then you start doing the work and like a year and a half into it, you're like, this sucks. Like, I'm sorry, it's just all wrong. Like, it's just not going to work, you know? And, and every good project that I've ever been a part of, and I'm currently going through this a little bit with our press here at Invite Press, there's a period at which you're like, this is not happening. It's just a struggle, right? But but if you know what ha- what's going on, and you understand the process, then that's then you have uh, comfort and encouragement that it's going to move forward in, in good ways. So, Len, I super appreciate this and I super appreciate your time. And I think like I would love to follow up and ask you practical like questions like this means because you've had so many experiences, church, press, you know, all of these different places, leadership, different communities and you mentioned church ministry and education probably being some some of the slowest to ever yeah. change. Um, <laughs> if and I think about it this if it, we're coming to the end of a school year, right? And I think there's probably those same cycles in ministry where it's like you feel like you're ending something and starting something new. Yes. When someone is at and maybe this will be the last maybe wondering I have. And, and then I'd love to pick up other questions and conversation later, but I, I'm at the end. I, I got nothing left. I got no more. What right. would be your encouragement to somebody to say, hey, you know what? The Silicon Valley innovation that I know that you're trying to juxtapose some of this would be say, hey, keep going till you're done, right? Till right. you got nothing left and they'll right. use it up. Right. What, what is it, right? Right. Yeah. And, and it, what it's the tyranny of innovation at times or the tyranny of what's next or the right. tyranny of excellence. What would be your encouragement? Maybe just the last piece of, of encouragement to say, hey, you know what, if you're at that point where it's like, you know, I'm done and I'm worn out and I'm tired and I'm used up. Yeah. Right. What right, would right. be some of that experience from that pastoral experience that you had at a church just boomed? you know, in the press work that you do, and even the comment that you just made, what would be something that you would say, hey, you know what, remember this, or do this, or think on this? So Moses has people on the edge of the promised land. And the first half of Deuteronomy is like this last minute training session, where God's working on Moses saying, tell people this, don't do this, do this. And all throughout the first 12 chapters of Deuteronomy, God keeps telling Moses, Moses keeps telling the people, don't think you did this. Don't think you brought yourself to the promised land. In fact, specifically in Deuteronomy 8, 17, if everybody wants to look that up, you know, God's saying, hey, don't think this prosperity is something that you achieved. Our ultimate sin is the sin of pride, is to think that we did this. The, the, the ideology of progress is very humanistic. It's this idea that it's on us, which is, which is both prideful and also misery inducing, right? Because you're like, wow, if it's just up to me, I've got to do it. And so you just, you grind, you don't stop, you keep going, you keep going. But there's like an arrogance and a pride that's in that that's killing yourself. And she's saying that it's up to me. No, it's not up to you. Christian innovation says it's not on you, right? The kingdom of God is not something we build. Christ built, has already built the kingdom of God. Our is an, ours is an invitation to come into the kingdom, to receive the kingdom. Right. And that's liberating. That's so relaxing and so freeing because when we say, wow, the kingdom's already built, 
all we got to do is enter it, receive it, and then we create, we have fun out of that, right? So you go from like this, this miserable experience where you think you're responsible to this incredibly liberating experience where you're saying, it's already done. I just have to listen to where the Holy Spirit says, go here, and I have to go do that, right? Completely different worldview, right? So just let go of all the angst that it's, that's on your shoulders, that it's because it's not. Len, I'm just going to stop there. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Len. Great. It's good to be here.